Well, welcome to Sedaris. My name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Sedaris. I don't think those words could be any truer for our hope for this fall kickoff, uh, that maybe this is a time in your life where uh, you start to slow down from the fastness of summer, and you start to realize maybe how tired you were, and you start to uh, reinvent rhythms of life that uh, bring you rest and, and, and wholeness and health. And uh, we're glad that you're here at Sedaris, considering whether or not this might be one of the rhythms that you step into this fall. So, so glad that you're here. Hope that I get to meet some of you. Uh, just as a fair warning, I might seem cold because I won't shake your hand and I won't give you a hug, which is something that I normally do. I'm a hugger. Uh, but I won't do that because uh, me and my wife, I'm not even sure if she's here or not, but if you see her, she won't hug you either. And our two-year-old son, Grayson, uh, Friday night, we were all sitting in the bathroom together, throwing up. So <laughs> it was a fun, fun weekend for all of us. So it's not that I don't want to shake your hand. It's, it's that I love you too much to do that, okay? So that brings us to uh, the series that we've just recently started, uh, which is a series in the Gospel According to Mark. And I'm super excited about this particular series uh, because it, it's really a series at the heart of what we've always been about, what we first talked about three and a half years ago in our living room, which is uh, what if we just present Jesus honestly, completely before people, what would they say? How would they answer the question of who he is? And so we've called this series uh, the most important question ever asked. And it's, it's, that question's at the heart of the gospel according to Mark. Right in the middle of the gospel, Jesus himself asks his disciples, you've seen me do this and you've seen me do that and you've heard me preach and you've heard me teach. Who do you say that I am? And that is the most important question that's ever been asked. And it's a question that God continues to ask each and every individual. Who do you say that Jesus is? Now here's the great news. We don't have to answer that question in complete blindness. We have before us these Gospels, which are both a documentation of Jesus' life and a proclamation of who these Gospel writers believed Him to be. So it's a, it's a documentation, and, and the reason the Gospels were written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, was because the apostles, those who walked with Jesus and were sent by Jesus, were beginning to die out. And so uh, a f two of them were written by actual apostles, and then two others, which Mark has included, were written by close associates of apostles. So the Gospel according to Mark, Mark was a traveling companion uh, and sort of a sidekick to the apostle Peter. And uh, that's... What happened here? Mark uh, wanted to document for us all that he had been taught by Peter through his teaching and his preaching, and he documents for us in this gospel uh, the life, the teaching, the death, the resurrection of this Jesus of Nazareth. But it's also a proclamation, and that's important to say. It's not a historical document only. That's not its intent. It's, a, it's theological history, meaning Mark believed that Jesus was who Peter said he was, who the apostles said that he was, 
that is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior. And so uh, Mark doesn't try to hide that. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. He presents that at the very beginning of his gospel, but then he realizes it takes us a while to figure that out as we look at, explore, and consider the life, the teaching, and all that Jesus did. So it's a, a documentation and it's a proclamation of the good news about this Jesus. And so what we have in the Gospel of Mark is around 90 stories or 90 different scenes. Not everything that Jesus did, but 90 of, of, of the things that Mark wanted to draw out of things that he'd heard and learned about Jesus. And we're going to take five months, the next five months, to ourselves examine, explore, walk through, consider together, talk about in our fellowship groups, ask questions of all these stories, all these scenes in which this Jesus of Nazareth is portrayed for us in the gospel according to Mark. So that we can hopefully answer, maybe for the first time, or reaffirm an answer that we've already made about this most important question ever asked. Who do you say that Jesus is? Now, if you're not yet a Christian, or perhaps you're not sure yet if you are truly a follower of Jesus, this is a question that you cannot avoid. It's a question that's really all around you, and it's quite spectacular that this question continues to be circling around the globe. Who was this Jesus? So you can't avoid it. And in fact, in a sense, you're answering it all the time by the way you choose to live, by the things you choose to do and not to do and say and not to say. You're answering the question. And if you're already a a Christian, I want you to know this, that the Gospel of Mark was actually written for already Christians. It was written to a group of Christians who had already answered the question that Jesus was the Messiah, was the Son of God, but they were beginning to doubt because persecution, pain, suffering, the disadvantages of the faith were piling up on them and they were starting to doubt. And that's okay if you find yourself in that boat. The Gospel of Mark is for you to help you to reconsider, reaffirm an answer that maybe you had long ago or maybe an answer that you're wrestling with in the times of persecution. So this is the Gospel of Mark. So let me give you very quickly where we've come. Mark starts not with the birth of Jesus like some of the other Gospels, but it starts with, his, with adult Jesus and the beginning of his ministry. Mark's the shortest Gospel. It moves quickly. It's to the point it's, in, it's entirely focused on the primary mission of Jesus, which was to come and die and rise again. And so we've talked about that, that, that 42 times this word immediately happens. You'll see it a few times in the passage today. So Jesus comes on the scene immediately, and he's baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist, and he receives the Holy Spirit, a new kind of baptism, a baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is empowers him to ministry. And the first thing it does is it takes him into the wilderness. Ryan talked about this last week where Jesus was tempted by the tempter, by the devil himself, but he does not sin. He overcomes the temptation by the power of the Spirit. 
And then immediately after those 40 days in the wilderness, he comes out and he begins his preaching ministry and he preaches about the kingdom of God. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. And then Jesus goes and he calls his first disciples and immediately they drop everything and they follow him. And this is an important part of the story because it highlights something that's important for our passage today, which is this. What kind of person would it it take to walk into your life and to tell you to drop everything and follow Him today? This this is what the, the first disciples do. They leave their jobs. They leave their family businesses. In fact, they leave generations vulnerable because this was probably work that had been done for generation after generation after generation. And they leave their family business They leave their family. They leave everything that they've known to immediately follow this Jesus. What kind of man would it be that spoke and you would follow? It'd have to be somebody with quite a lot of power, quite a lot of authority in the way that he spoke. Have you ever had somebody like this in your life that spoke with such authority with such power, maybe a teacher, maybe a coach, maybe a boss, maybe a grandparent. For me, it's my mother. She spoke, and you better listen. And I never knew this as much as one day when when my mother walked in uh, to the pro sports club. Now, that's this uh, gym on the east side. I used to grow up going and playing basketball there. And uh, I was, it was in middle school, and, and my family would pay some money to this guy named Steve Gordon. And Steve Gordon, uh, he may or may not be in jail now, I can't remember, but Steve Gordon was, was a former professional basketball player. And, and his current job at the time was to coach the Seattle Supersonics. Does anybody remember when they were still around? Sad day, moment of silence. Thank you. And uh, so his day job was to coach Seattle Supersonics. Uh, and, and then to make a little money on that side, he would coach like high school and middle school kids like me. Uh, that's what he'd do. Uh, the problem is, is when he would coach the middle school kids, he didn't take it very seriously. So he'd sit at the end of the gym and he'd He'd sip his lemonade from the cafe, and he'd just sort of yell at us. And one time, my mother walks in, and, and she sees us in the corner, basically playing by ourselves, and old Steve Gordon's over there hacking it up with uh, some professional basketball player or something, and, and, and my mom walks in, and my mother, she, she's, she has a tight wallet, and so she knows that we're paying Steve Gordon some money to coach us. And she walks in and she sees this. And we're kind of far away and we don't know exactly what she said, but she spoke with power and authority. And the next time we saw that Steve Gordon, he'd never been so nice to us in our life. He changed immediately. He became a different man after he heard some words spoken by my mother. I'll tell you what, every time my mother walked through those halls, old Steve Gordon was, how are you doing, ma'am? Nice to see you. Can I get you a lemonade? <laughs> I don't know what was, had gotten into my mother that day, 
Maybe it was a little of the Holy Spirit. I don't know. But she changed the way a man acted because she spoke with authority. That's what Jesus did to his disciples when they came to follow him. There was something about this man that changed them even as he spoke. So, let's pick up the story. If you have a Bible, you could turn with me to the Gospel according to Mark. If you don't have a Bible, you could either look it up on your phone or you could find a Bible in the seat back in front of you. If you don't own a Bible... Take that home with you. That's a gift from us to you. We've got a whole box of them in the back. We'll just bring out more next week. Uh, We think it's a good book to have on your shelf. So you can look it up, Mark chapter 1. We're also going to throw it up here on the screen if if you wanted to follow along that way. And we're going to start in verse 21, the first chapter of Mark. You got it up here? Okay, here we go. Are you there with me? So right after he had called his first disciples, it says this. And they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, Who is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately... Jesus left the synagogue and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John, his disciples. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought him to all who were sick or oppressed by demons And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I might preach there also. For that is why I came. And he went out through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to Jesus, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him, sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go now, show yourself to the priest, and offer yourself for cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter." So here's this series of events. 
the series of events that show that Jesus of Nazareth had something of a unique and profound power and authority. And he really shows through this series of healings of different kinds that he has authority over what I'll call uh, the three main institutions that at different times and in different ways have held sway over people's lives. Um, You could say that each of these things that Jesus shows himself to have power over have, uh, in different seasons of uh, human history, been gods to people. And Jesus shows himself to be above all those so-called gods. Now the first, which we see in verses 21 to 22, is the power over religion itself. Look at that again. It says, Jesus went to Capernaum immediately on the Sabbath. He entered into the synagogue, which is a Jewish church. Jesus was Jewish. And he began teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. Here's, here's what this means. Jesus spoke as though he was the text himself. He didn't just interpret the text like the scribes did. Like the pastors of the day did. He spoke as if he were creating new texts. He spoke as if he were God. We see that in in the other Gospels. We see in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says again and again, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus spoke as though he were God himself creating new scripture. And when people heard him speak, they, they sensed something different. That his teaching had authority. So you could say this, Jesus' authority transcended the religion of his day. Jesus was bigger than the religious system. And so too, Jesus is bigger than the religious system of this day. Now that doesn't mean that religion itself is evil. Human beings are religious creatures. We need, we desire rhythms, rituals, creeds, confessions, but they're meant to help us get to God. To help us to to serve and worship Jesus Christ Himself. Because Jesus is over and above all religion. You see, that's the problem with religion when we serve and worship religion as the end in and of itself. We've missed the whole point. I remember when I was in uh, elementary school. Did anybody do this? I'll show my age here. The Book It Club? Did anybody do Book It? Come on now. Book It was a terrible program. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. Uh, Because they would tell kids to read books, and if you got enough stars on on your little pin, you filled it up, you get taken to a pizza party with your teacher. We'd always go to Pizza Hut, all-you-can-eat buffet pizza. They still do that? I mean, there's so many things that are sad about society. That's one of them. Uh, But Pizza Hut used to have an all-you-can-eat lunch buffet. And you'd get that if you filled it up. Now here's the problem. Uh, the, the original intent of the creators of, of Book It 
was to get kids like me who didn't love to read to love to read because books are great. <laughs> At least that's what they told me. And um, the problem is I only read books so that I could get the pizza, you see? Because what I really loved and worshipped and served was the pizza. And I just used the books to get the pizza. And I missed the whole point. See, religion's not bad if it helps you get the good thing, which is God Himself, which is the Son Himself, Jesus. Don't, don't do it for the pizza. Don't, don't do it for the fried chicken tonight. It's not that good. I mean, it's good, but it's not even the original recipe if you know the story of Ezel's. Spoiler alert. I mean, it's good, though. <laughs> you should definitely come down. But don't, don't do it, don't, yeah, okay. You get what I'm saying. Read a book, okay. So, Jesus shows here, uh, by his new, powerful, authoritative teaching, he, Jesus shows that his authority has power over and above religion. Jesus, Jesus is over and above religion. Okay. The second thing we see through these stories is uh, Jesus has authority over the spiritual world. So, so look with me here at verses 23 to 26. It says, Immediately, after this amazing teaching, immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and this man cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of the man. This is a true story. There is evil in this world, and it takes many forms. And one of the forms that it takes is unclean spirits that live in a spiritual realm. That functions right alongside everything that we can see. Now in this country, we've tended to turn a blind eye to this spiritual realm. Uh, the way we've done that is by renaming it different things. But it doesn't mean it's not there just because it has a new name. But if you talk to folks from other parts of the world, or if you travel there yourself, parts of the world that haven't renamed this spiritual realm, what you'll realize is, yeah, it's, it's real. There are spiritual beings that are alive and active. There was a, a man in my seminary class named Tony, and he was from Central Africa. And... Uh, he had obviously become a Christian. He had come over to the United States to go to seminary. But he told of a story of him becoming a Christian. And, and, he, and he talked about it like this. Before he was a Christian, he would see shamans and witch doctors. And he would do anything he could in order to survive. And so he had entered into packs with unclean spirits. And you know what? They were powerful. They had some 
helpful presence in his life. And so that even when he became a Christian, it was incredibly hard for him to give up his relationship with his witch doctor, his relationship with these unclean spirits, because they had real power. He talked about that, about how hard it was. And that's the important thing to remember when we talk about unclean spirits. It's not that they only have a negative effect. They have power. And they can enact that power. And so for Tony, it was incredibly hard for him to just give that up and trust fully in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit which now lived in him. Now eventually he did and he realized how much more power Christ had when he gave him full control. But this is the good news. This is the gospel. It's that Jesus has authority over the spiritual world. Over all unclean spirits. All clean spirits. He has power and authority over all of them. You might be asking yourself, well, why in the passage does this unclean spirit call out and, and identify Jesus by name and say, you are the Holy One of God. Well, this, in, the, in ancient times, calling somebody by name was a way to try to enact your power upon them. And so Jesus rebuking the Spirit was him shutting him up and saying, you don't get to call me by name. You don't have any power or authority over me. You cannot gain the upper hand on me. Now look at what happens when the crowd sees this. Verse 27, And they were amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey Him. And at once His fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Jesus shows that His Authority has power over and above the spirits of the world. That's a part of the good news of Jesus. Now the third area, the third institution that God shows through His Son Jesus that He has power over is that of human biology and medicine. Medicine, to be perfectly honest, is really the God of 21st century America and much of the Western world. Again, medicine's not evil in and of itself. In fact, God uses medicine to enact His grace to bring His reign upon the just and the unjust alike. Medicine is part of God's grace. But Jesus still has authority over it. Jesus has authority over the human body. Look at verse 29 with me. And immediately... Jesus left the synagogue, entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. Now this fever wasn't what we think of as a fever. Most often, fever in the day was terminal. Could very well kill you. And immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them again. You see, what always happens when Jesus heals you is that you can then function as you were meant to function. 
and his mother loved to serve and so she could start serving again, proving that Jesus had made her whole. That evening at sundown they brought him all to him who were sick and oppressed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons. Jesus has this power. Now, you might ask, what is biologically happening when Jesus heals a sick body? It's a good question. Here, here's my thought. We don't know this from the text. But when you take sort of everything that Jesus uh, tends to do, what he's not doing is putting a band-aid on a problem. You're like, I, I pumped some Pepto-Bismol before I came up here. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Nothing wrong with the pink stuff. And uh, I took some of that. That's not what Jesus does here. He's not pumped, pumping the Pepto. Uh, I think what he's actually doing is it's a deep healing. I think he's reorganizing at the deepest biological level that which is broken. Because that's what D Jesus does. That's what God does when he heals, when he redeems. He brings it back to what it was intended to be. So if you're not yet a Christian, let me just say this. It makes perfect sense to worship medicine. That makes perfect sense to me. Because it's like the only thing that answers with the most tangible, realistic, physical proof the scariest question of life, which is death itself. Medicine's pretty much the only thing that answers that. So if I were not a Christian, I would worship medicine. Now let me say this, if you're already a Christian, you must learn to lead by example and show that we don't worship someone who can just prolong death, hold it off for a while. We worship someone who has actually defeated death, has overcome it through the resurrection. And so it's still the scariest of questions for us, death, but we have a solution to it. And so we mustn't worship that which just prolongs death, but that which overcomes death. And, and the way we live and act, and to be honest, even certain risks that we might take because we know the answer to death itself should change the way that we live. Medicine can prolong life, but Jesus can give life anew.